Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masses Restaurants. Five locations in St. Louis. Check them out at massesstl.com, M-A-S-S-A-S-T-L.com. You can look at their menus. You can look at all the delicious food they have. They have wonderful drinks. And every location's a little different, so check them out, Masses Restaurants. My title sponsor for the third straight year, and I appreciate them. Uh, it's been a while, yes, since I've posted a new podcast, and uh, I appreciate all the love and support of people asking, where has it gone? Uh, there's been none of that, I will say, but no, there has been a few people who have asked, and I'm just trying to figure out what to do next. I, I enjoy doing interviews, but I think I've interviewed everybody I want to or I can get a hold of, and so I'm trying to think of new and different ways. So my new thought is maybe some roundtables, maybe some non-baseball stuff, and that's where I'm thinking of heading here in 2020. I did a little bit of that last year and the year before, but we'll see how that works out. So today we're going in that round table motif. We've got Gerald Laird, Cardinals 2011 world champion catcher, and Gary Bennett, 2006 Cardinals world series catcher. So there's a theme. We're going to talk catching with two of my all-time favorites, as I always say. But I appreciate people uh, checking out uh, the podcast at any time. The archives are good, and I'll, uh, I think I'm going to put some best of stuff together here as I, as I look forward to 2020. But I do have some ideas. Um, we'll see how they pan out here in 2020. Just having some fun with the podcast. That's all we're doing here. I enjoy talking baseball with people who played it or people who like it. So that's what we're going to do today. An honor to talk to two of my all-time favorites, as I tell everybody here. Two world champions a 2006 world champion, a 2011 world champion. It's Gary Bennett and Gerald Laird, and they don't really know each other. So this is kind of like a dating connection thing. Yeah, a speed date. So you, Gary, say hello so we can hear your voice. Hello. And then Gerald. How you doing? Hello. Gerald, you sound much better than Gary. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald, by the way, is wearing an, a Rams hat, and we've already... We've been contacting each other on Facebook. He has continued his love of the Rams. I've disowned them completely. I've disowned the NFL, but I think he does it just to bother me. Are you uh, Are you watching the Rams, Gary? Or are you watching the Bears at all uh, up there in, in cold northern Chicago? It's it's uh, about forty six degrees and sunny right now, so this is a balmy day here in Chicago. And I'm a Bears fan. Yes. And Gary, and Gerald, tell folks where you are these days. I am in. Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's about 69 degrees. Nice sunny day. Um, I'm a, I continue to follow the Rams because I was a Ram fan originally when they played in uh, L.A. And my, my dad had season tickets when they were in Angel Stadium. So I used to go as a kid when I was 12 years old. So uh, I know they left for St. Louis, but they came back home. So I stuck with them. Ah, so you guys are the three people that are the fans. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I, again, I really appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, Gary's, a, I think, a four-timer. He's a, he's a, a big uh, – we always do this in the offseason. I like talking, picking his brain after the World Series. So, Gerald, hopefully you'll enjoy uh, kind of getting to talk some baseball. I see your comments uh, uh, about baseball today, and I was interested in hearing that. And, and Gary and I have these type of conversations. But first and foremost, I just am a huge Cardinal fan and uh, got, to, got to hang out with you guys those seasons you were here, so and you guys don't really know each other that well, Gerald. You said, uh, yeah, you guys just kind of said hello, passing by uh, through your time in the big leagues, but kind of, kind of played. Uh, Gary was a little older, but kind of played at the same time, so you guys didn't really get a chance to say hello to each other. So this is is fun to, to talk tools of ignorance with two 
uh, backstops. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about um, just being a. I know you don't go into the major leagues wanting to be known as a backup catcher, but I, I was looking at your careers. And it wasn't easy early on for both of you. You guys kind of had to kind of fight your way up to the major leagues. Um, Gary, just talk a little bit about, uh, and then maybe Gerald, you guys can compare, um, you know, that, that they always say it's harder. The most hard, the hardest thing is not getting there, but it's staying there. You guys got there, but staying there was uh, what made it, it was made, was made it good careers for both of you. Gary, I'll let you start. All right. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Like you said, you don't, you don't go into this, uh, the goal is not to be a, a backup player or a reserve player or a scrub or bench, but whatever. Um, so yeah, the, the idea or the goal or the hope or the dream is always to, uh, you know, get to the major leagues and hopefully play on a regular basis and contribute and, and, you know, become a household name. Um, but once, once you get there, um, and, and, and Gerald can speak this at a little more in depth he may or may not agree, but it, it was a, uh, I realized quickly that uh, I wasn't as talented or had as much juice as a lot of these guys, so I just need to figure out a way to survive. And uh, still the goal was to play as often as I could and try to get an everyday gig, but um, there's some talented boys up there, man. And and, and uh, it's like I have no – I believe 100% that that saying you said, that the easy part's getting there, the tough part's staying there. Gerald, how was it for you? I mean, same thing. But you were sort of, you were kind of a, I was, I was reading kind of a prospect, kind of one of those guys that they talked about a little bit more as a guy that might come up and have a, a bigger role um, when you kind of got there. But tell me a little bit about that that feeling of uh, of how it, how your career went for you. No, I totally agree. I mean, it would, the ultimate goal is to get up there and, and establish yourself as a, an everyday and an impact player. But, you know, like, like Gary said, I mean, it's, once you get to that level, it's tough. I mean, everybody up there is good, and um, it's real humbling real quick. So for me, it was just trying to do the little things. Um, I don't know if that's the new age of baseball where I, I just try to do things to help the team win when I played. Um, I wasn't a guy with all the power. Um, I was more of a defensive guy that could catch and throw. So offensively, I just try to do things, especially being in that Texas lineup, we had a bunch of boppers. I could just get on base and, and uh, just be that table setter. But uh, definitely, you know, when you get up there, I mean, these guys are really good. There's a lot of talented players, and uh, you can really get humbled really quick. And I mean, and and that's that's just how I felt. So when I got up there, just to be able to stay and, and to battle to to play as long as I did, I had to do the little things. I had to put the work in the film rooms and and become a good game caller and and have guys that want to throw to me to where that I you know make a name for myself around the league where pitchers like to throw to me so I can hang around. What? And I think, let me to add on that with the humbling part of it is, is uh, so true. And, you know, I, I know there were games where, where Gerald could have been an all-star and there were games I mixed in where I was above my head, but the consistency part of, of those that are, you know, the, the elite level guys, the superstars, if you will, they can roll out every day and have the ability to have that impact. And Gerald mentioned that be an impact player I think that's what separates is being able to consistently go out there day in and day out and, and be a threat, be an impact. And I, I found out, you know, a month or two into it that that was going to be a scuffle. That was going to be a battle to do that. And humbling is uh, is an understatement, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like, I, I always thought that playing our position was it was definitely twice as hard for me. I mean, um, having to do the work 
for the pitching staff, and 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 then obviously you had to go work on our offense. No I doubt. Just feel that's why you don't see that many two-way catches. I mean, there's very few guys that can do it defensively and offensively for a full season, and those guys are just very special. The guys like Yadi and and the Contreras for the, uh, the Cubbies, and I don't want to forget any names, but I mean, there's very few uh, Buster Posey. The guys that can do that are just special players. I mean, to to put the time in behind the plate. To be there for your pitchers, obviously that's the number one goal. And then obviously to go up there and have an impact bat and drive runs in and help your team win, that's just that's just a different uh, freak of nature. I mean, these guys are studs, and that's why they're the elite of the elite catchers. And um, for me, I always thought it was just a, a, it was double duty for us. It was just tough, and it was it was honestly a mental it was a mental grind to get through a whole season. No question. When, when do you guys come up with the the, the fact that you go, you're going to be catchers? Is this you guys learned this in high school that, hey, you know, I, I've got a little bit of a bat, but maybe, uh, you know, if I can call a game or I can be a good defensive, maybe I'm not great at third base or wherever you're playing in high school. When did the catching become uh, – it just feels I, – I played baseball. I never would have caught. I can't squat. I just can't imagine putting equipment on. I, I just – I don't like <laughs> nonstop. I just want to play the game and not have to deal with all that other stuff. So would, tell me a little bit about that, The just – when you guys figured it out that you had to be catchers and and uh, and wanted to be catch, did you want to be or did it just become uh, you have to be? I mean, I, coming up, I played different positions, and then in high school, my high school coach put me behind the plate. But then my senior year, when I, I went and tried out for the eighteen U national team, I made the team as a center fielder, and uh, it was kind of weird. Uh, and then I mean, Ankyo was on that team, and a few other big league guys like Matt Holiday. But I played center field for that team, and you know, when I went back to my high school, I went behind the plate. I, I loved it. Um, it was just one of those things where I felt like it kept, kept me engaged the whole time. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to play for a pretty good high school coach who let me call my own games. Didn't call games at all through my whole high school career, which I think benefited me going into the minor leagues and helping me establish myself as, you know, calling games, setting up pitches. But, um, yeah, I wasn't really forced back there. Uh, my high school coach just said, you know, you, you do a good job. You're athletic. Um, you have a pretty good arm. So let's stick back there. So I, I caught in high school, and next you know I was getting drafted, and um, and I just, it just stuck. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It's it's not everybody could do it, but for me, it just it helped me out offensively too, where I I couldn't worry about my at bats so much because you know you had to strap the gear on and go back there and catch and um, and call a game and be out there for your pitcher. So. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Not many guys do, but uh, it wasn't really forced on me. So I'm, I was, I was happy I chose it. Yeah, and, and similar to, to Gerald, I played a lot of positions growing up as well. Um, I didn't have the foot speed to play center field, so I think he has me beat there. But <laughs> I don't think Gerald did either. By the way, I'm trying to figure. I'm trying. I'm just trying to <laughs> see that. Hey, I did run a six six sixty at the trials. So I was fast. that's moving, man. Yeah, I, I and I have no speed or or, or ability, but. Uh, I can't. I just. I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of Gerald out in center field in 2011. I don't see it. But go ahead, Gary. No, no, no. <laughs> so yeah, I, I played a lot of third, a little bit of short in uh, first base growing up catching, and then um, probably at 12 or 13 years old, I uh, was one of the teams I was on. No one wanted to catch, and I caught a little bit. I said, sure, I'll, I'll run back there. But and then on into high school, still played a little bit of third, and then there was a guy two or three years older than me. He got or three years older than me. He got drafted. So the high school team didn't have a catcher the next year. So, again, hell yeah, throw me back there. And then, uh, to Gerald's point, you're just so involved in everything. And and then, 
especially as you move through the minor leagues, um, you know, first and foremost, your focus is on the pitcher and you kind of got to put your ego aside. And it also is a blessing in the fact that you get to forget about some of your bats. You know, and I, I played a little bit of third base in the minor leagues and you have a bat at bat and you're standing out there and that's all I'm thinking about. And it, it was tough to, to, to get back in the game. We're catching, you don't have a choice. You got to get, get back there, grind for your pitcher, get back in the game, calling pitches. And, and I love that part of it. So for, for me, similar to Joe, it wasn't forced on me. Um, I think part of it, the, uh, the lack of foot speed limited to the, the positions I was going to play and uh, just kind of settled in back there. I, I just, I might. I admire catchers so much, um, and I really – this is kind of fun hearing you guys talk about this, and hopefully kids can kind of get some stuff from this where, the, you know, hey, I, things aren't going well. It's my junior year, but you know what? Maybe I get behind the, the, the dish and I start catching and, and can learn that that's the thing I can do. But what, I, what, what always – I remember during spring training, I'd always go uh, the week before pitchers and catchers showed up, and then I was there till whatever, the beginning – of the season. And I would get there around 7am cause we would get production. I used to do some production and you'd see the catchers walking in from doing drills already. They'd gotten there at five 30 because they did their drills and now it's time for them to do their hitting drills, uh, before the nine 30 AM meeting. And I just thought these guys are nuts. And I could see why you, you guys were incredibly nice compared to, <laughs> I don't know, I'd be a miserable man. Uh, I'd have the Yachty scowl going myself if I had to do this every day <laughs> from February 15th till uh, October 15th. But just tell, tell like people that are listening, just that spring training, it's such a grind on you guys, but it, it's, it's necessary, I guess. But a lot of fans will We'll, we'll we'll not care. They'll just say, "Oh, these guys make millions." But it, it, that's there's where the money's made, right? It is, and, and Gerald alluded to it earlier. You know, the double duty. Not certainly infielders and outfielders work on their defenses also, but there's just there's more to. Not only do we work on blocking, throwing, receiving, but then you have the bullpens and, and working with pitchers, um, and then you've got to go and, and try to work on your offense a little bit. So. Um, by no means is it a pity party. Um, it's it's part of the gig. It's it's what the job requires, and and that's what we did. And you know, we we usually one of the first ones in, and, and most often the last ones to leave as a group. And that's that's just part of the job, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I felt like early in my career, sometimes you can I, I would tend to maybe a little bit overdo it. Or you know, as I kept going and, and maturing as a player and understanding what spring training was about and and what it took to get ready, I, you can kind of pace yourself where you're up at 5.30 at 6 in the morning getting it working, but you're not overdoing it. Where I felt like I knew what I needed to get done to be ready to play on April 1st. So I would show up. I mean, not, St. Louis, when I was there, was one of the only clubs that did that with catchers that were there at 6.30. And what was admiring to me was to see Yachty got up and did it too. I mean, here you got the best catcher in the game, and he's up at 6 o'clock or 5.30, being there by 5.45, 6 to get his work in. And that motivated me that year I was with him when I backed him up. And um, I took that with me after I left there. I started doing that more often when I signed with other teams. And they were like, well, did you do this all the time? I'm like, no. Well, it was the most prepared I was as a player going into a season. But for me, I just I would get there, and I, and I knew what I needed to get done. And, and we didn't overdo it. It was just getting our work in, fine-tuning what we needed to get done to, to get us ready to play uh, for the day and, and to get us ready for the season. But um, that's all I did as a player. I, as I got older and, and more mature, I 
I understood what I needed to do. And I wasn't there just to kind of like or what they call the eyewash. I was there to get my work in, get quality work in, so I was ready for the season. Well, Gerald, you mentioned Yadi. I, I obviously have to talk about him. You guys both played with him. And uh, I would just, you know, we'll start with Benny, but just your thoughts on, I think I texted you at one point this year and just said, you know, I hear this all the time that, oh, my goodness, Yadi makes the pitching staff just that much better. And, and I was just curious um, if that, I mean, tell me a little bit about, just tell me about Yachty, but the, even that fact where I, I can see it. I obviously see him directing the pitcher where you can hear Wainwright just say, I don't even have to think. You know, Yachty just puts out the sign, sets up, and I just throw. I don't even think about pitching. I guess that is most important, but just give me some thoughts and some fun stories about Yachty if you guys have any. For, you know, Gerald mentioned just his work ethic, one is second to none. Um, he takes a lot of pride and put so much effort into things most people, especially the average fan, isn't going to notice. Um, in my opinion, no one in the history of the game has done it better. Um, now, I'm not saying he's number one, the best, but no one's done it better, in my opinion. Um, and as far as a teammate and a person, they don't come any better, man. He's, he's just a solid dude, extremely talented works his butt off and, and, and doesn't take anything for granted, which is amazing. It's, it'd be easy for him uh, to kind of coast to relax and, and, and ease up on, on the workload. But to, to Gerald's point, you know, when I was there too, you get out in the morning, he's one of the first ones out there, goes through the whole routine, does all the drills, you know, with non-roster invitees and everything, man. It's, it's a great example he sets, and, and it's no surprise he's, he is where he is now. Uh, for as long as he's been doing it, just just – the work ethic just second to none, man. And, and he's even a better person. Absolutely love playing with him. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, um, I was, I mean, when I was there, I signed as a free agent for one year. And, you know, I had, I had, I had a few years under my belt at the time. And to see him right there with me, um, telling me, hey, we go, we show up here at six o'clock and this is what we do. And, and like, like, like Gary just said, free agents, um, non-roster invites he's out there with all of them um getting the work in and and it's no surprise of what he's done in his career it's not surprising to me to how many games that he's caught how many games a season he caught catches i mean i tell guys don't sign with st louis and not, that's not because he's a bad guy you just don't play very much no and it's hard it's hard to stay sharp i mean i he catches 135 140 100 maybe i mean if you would let him he'd catch almost every day and it just goes to show you how hard he works to prepare his body and He's been doing it for so long because of the work he does in the off season and in spring training, and and that's why he's as good as he is, and that's how who he is. I mean, for me, I, I, a few guys have said, "Why did you sign?" I said, "Well, I thought it was a good idea. It was. We won the World Series, but like you don't play much there because this guy is is loves the position so much. He puts all the work in. He wants to to be out there, and it's just as a backup guy in St. Louis, it was tough because you don't see the field very much." And he don't get hurt because he takes care of himself. And, and then to talk on the person he is, he's a great guy. Off the field, he's always in the room going over. Like, if it's not his day to catch, he was in there helping out on scouting reports. He's in there going uh, over the uh, pitcher-catcher reports before the game. I mean, he's helping out any way he can. This guy puts it all in, and, and that's why he's had the career he has. You know, and I think Gerald mentioned something right there that stuck out with me. He mentioned the word, you know, he loves what he's doing. And 
And I know for a fact, and I'm assuming uh, Gerald did too, I played with guys, uh, you know, names everybody's all heard of. As they go on in their career, they, they certainly don't have as much fun, and, and some even get get bitter and, and complain about being out there. And he, he just absolutely loves to play the game, man. It's, and it, it shows with his, his preparation and work ethic and, and what he does on the field. Oh, absolutely. I, I always say he's a shortstop behind the dish. I mean, it's, he makes it look so easy. That's why oh, I like man. Yep. When, I, when I do catching stuff, I, and I still do it for Team USA, and and, I, and it's hard to say to kids to watch them do it because I always say, you got to crawl before you walk and no then doubt. walk before you run. Dottie's mastered it. He does the one-knee block. He puts it right there every time, and these kids try to do it, and they're running back to the backstop. I'm like, guys, I understand he's the best, but you got to – there's a certain point to where you get to that point. This guy has put thousands of hours in blocking and receiving to get to that point. I know he's the best, but not everyone can do that and make it look as easy. I mean, that's it's just frustrating to say because he's the – for me, he's the, like Gary said, one of the best to ever do it, if not the best. I just haven't got the chance to play with guys before my generation, but you can't do what he does behind the dish. He's just a different – he's a different animal. And it's hard to teach the young kids this generation to catch like that. So for me, it's like – it's two knee block. You got, like I say, you gotta, you gotta uh, crawl before you walk and walk before you run. Maybe someday you'll get to that level, but not everyone's gonna get there. Yeah, it's, it's fun hearing you guys talk about him because you guys obviously played. We're, we're very close with him. Um, I do, I do think just about the playoffs and the the World Series. You guys are both involved with 06. Gary Bennett helps the Cardinals win in 2006 and 2011. Gerald Laird, you're on that team and. I think the best thing you did, Gerald, was uh, you know the game six, David Freeze. You come out of the dugout with the greatest celebration hop I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, you know it's just it's exciting. You know, I mean, I've never been to that point. I mean, playing in Texas, we always had good offenses, and just you know, the Angels are on their run. Oakland was playing well. We just we were always known for our offense, couldn't get over the hump with our pitching, and. You know, obviously going to Detroit, coming up short a couple years. By the way, that was not supposed to be a, a, a like you were supposed to laugh and then go stop making fun of me, Brad. You're not. <laughs> no, I, I still see it. My parents still make fun of me for that. <laughs> Gary, do you remember the hop at all? <laughs> I, I do, and, and and it was not. It, it didn't go. I'm sure as planned, but it wasn't for lack of effort. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, they, I think they were calling it the Laird Leap or something. I don't even know. <laughs> I just awesome. I remember my favorite thing that uh, we got to I mean there's many many favorite things that we I got to do but so the next day Jim Hayes and I come up to you and said hey we want to do uh an interview with you for just the, the web uh but we want you to reenact the, the what you did last night and you're like what you you knew what it was but it, it was funny to me that you you did it we talked about it but what it showed to me was, man, this is. I thought about it just the other day. I think um, watch or was watching the World Series, and I thought, man, right before Game Seven of World Series, and we're out there screwing around with Gerald Laird, having him jump up and down again like he did the night yeah. before, and it just showed me that um, you know the game's fun still. Yeah, it's it's a pressure night, and there's Game Sevens about to happen. But I love that you did that with us. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to have some fun with the hop. But no, the, I just, I just like, like, I like. Going back to what I said, you just moments like that just bring out getting you sometimes. You no know? doubt, it's, man. It's, yep. a, it's a fun game. I mean, it's it's what we've done our whole lives to get to this point, and to be able to be a part of that. What David did that night, I mean, I felt like a, a little kid. Like again, it's just like wow. Just to, it, you know, it was it was crazy. But um, you know, like I said, I mean, it's just 
you've played so many years, you may never get that point. So it's just certain reactions come out of you because it's, it's the joy of the game and the hard work you put in, to do something that you love. It, 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 and, and, and then you're getting a chance to do something that may never be done again. So, yeah, I can tell you, I was, I was on my couch uh, with some neighbors and that game, the way it was going, it was, we had a good, good group in the house and then it filtered out, filtered out. And I was the last one left. And I uh, had a few beverages in me, and when all that was going on, I did some leaping off the couch too, man. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing to watch. I'm, yeah, and then to see Freezer do it too. What a great guy, oh, too. You know? I mean, great guy. You know, been through a lot. Hometown kid. To have those three consecutive bats that he did, it was the last two in that game, and then the the, the first at bat in Game Seven, the double, I believe it was. I mean, we. <laughs> I don't think there's a better three at bat at Spanton in a World Series ever. No, that was that was nuts. It was pretty special. Yeah, you guys, and those teams are so much fun. Because, and again, I I always brag on my own podcast, but that's what you have a podcast for. I I got to be around these teams a lot, and uh, to to get to know you guys and to know know these people on these on the teams, um, it just makes it different. Because I I remember just just seeing David after that game, and it, like it just. It didn't. It didn't seem like it sunk in. Like he had the guy come in with who caught the ball, and uh, someone handed him the ripped jersey, and it just he was he just yeah. looked, it was just such a neat moment. But I, I was curious. I don't know if you guys overlapped uh, with your cardinal your players on the Cardinals. Uh, I guess Chris Carpenter was on the 06 in twenty eleven, and I, we talked about Yadi and Wayno a little bit, but. Give me. You guys have any fun off the field stories that maybe uh, we can get you get going on on some of these guys? Um, I just I know Wayno early on in his career he can be a prankster and I think they they hid in the bathroom uh, when Josh Kinney came up when he got into his hotel they scared him and I love those type of stories I saw I just remember seeing one with Tim Hudson where he had the scream mask. And uh, they were. It was Eddie Perez, another backup catcher, and Eddie Perez is doing a tour of how what it's like on the road. <laughs> and he gets into his hotel room, and Tim Hudson jumps out. And Eddie loses his accent and <laughs> jumps into the. Holy shit! What the hell is this? Like, totally loses his accent. Do you guys have any fun stories that you can kind of remember, or, or fun players that had that kind of fun uh, off the field? Um. Well, the year I was there, we had, a, I think, a bunch of characters. We had Nick Punto, Berkman, um, Ryan Terrio, a.k.a. the Pulse that he called himself because he was the Pulse, I guess. So, oh, Dotel. I remember Dotel really changing that. Dotel. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the years we, you know, some people don't understand, like, the little things that we do as as major league players. It's We play, like, some, I, I want to say it now, but, like, some childish games. I remember we were playing the D's Nuts game. <laughs> That year in 2011, where if you had to try to get a guy to say who, and if you said who, you could deez nuts him in front of everybody. And I, I remember I was new at it, and and it, you know, what's funny is that year I got there, Carpenter doesn't really, at first he wasn't talking very much to me, and so it'd been like three. I think we started games already, and they played this game called like Wee Wee. It was called Wee Wee, where you ask someone if something, and he's and if he answers you like. He asks you the question. It's kind of weird to explain the wrong way, and he wants you to correct him. And if you correct him, you went like wee wee wee, like some weird game. I don't know. It was a cardinal thing. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, I remember asking a few guys. I'm like, dude, this carp not like me, or man. I'm like, I felt like I've had, I was a likable guy everywhere I was, and he was just, you know, that hard nosed guy, carp. And I remember one game, I came out, I hurt my cat, my quad, 
it was like the fourth game in spring training, and Carp was in there working out, and I and he was coming walking by me, and I'm like thinking, I was like, God, this guy does not like me. And we're already three weeks in the spring training, so he's he was out in the dugout actually too when I got hurt. So then I'm walking by him to do some stuff with uh, the trainers, and he goes, Hey, G, and I looked at him, he goes, How's the calf? And I'm looking at him like, Wait a minute. And I look at him, I go, wee, wee, wee. And he started laughing. Because <laughs> he was trying to get me to say, oh, no, it's my quad. You know what I'm saying? That was what he did. He goes, hey, gee, how's the calf doing? I'm like, I looked out. And after that moment, I'm like, okay, he likes me. We're cool now. But nice. it was, like, really weird. He walked right by me, stone-faced, how's the calf? I looked at him, like, wee, 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 wee. And he kind of got this big grin. And I'm like, dude, you just trying to get me. He started laughing. I'm like, okay, that's what broke the ice for us. And all of a sudden, but... Just things like that that we do little games, the who game. I got Albert a few times, and I thought I was going to get released the next day because, <laughs> you know, if you, if you try to embarrass Albert and he's not in the right mood, it could be a rough day for you. But I got him one day on the middle of the field on the who because I asked him, I'm like, Albert, there's some dude in the clubhouse. He's uh, whining, says he's your boy from back home. He goes, who, Jero? I go, these, right in front of everyone on the field, and they got all, he got a kind of got bad at me. So I'm like, I hope I don't get released tomorrow, but. <laughs> just little things like that that we did that year was just constant, always trying to, like, uh, just don't say the wrong thing because they were going to wee-wee you, and then yeah. you're trying not to say who. I just, like, didn't want to talk when I went to the clubhouse. Gerald, do you have any <laughs> carp memories or any of those? <laughs> well, most, most of those stories, as you mentioned, some of the guys, and, and you know, Gerald's bringing up most of it's pitchers. You know, one, they ain't right. Uh, two, they, they need attention, so they're coming up with all the silly shit and all the stupid-ass games. So <laughs> they've got most of the stories. Yeah. That, that, that's just them. But, you know, nothing really comes off the top of my head. We uh, uh, we drank a lot of wine. I know that. Yeah. Uh, every now and then we had some beers. Uh, that was the fun stuff we like to do. But, yeah, yeah most, most of the silly shit's all the pitchers, man. They, they just ain't right. I, I was try, I was thinking right now in my head. So the the '06 team was very veteran laden, except for the bullpen. The bullpen was all kids. 2011, it was yes, all all kids, all kids, and their leader was Isringhausen. Right. How about that? Yeah, how are we looking, guys? <laughs> yeah, and it, but no. I, so I'm trying to. I'm doing this in my head. 2011 was you know John Jay, Daniel Descalso, David Freeze, Alan Craig, along with uh, Pujols, Berkman. So you had the kids and the. I do love makeups of teams, though, because what you're just talking about, Gerald, there, it it does – there's something – chemistry is a thing. I know, you know, the analytics of the game, you don't want to talk about the, the chemistry, you know, is a guy a, a clutch hitter or is there chemistry or whatever, but, God, it just seems like it's a thing, and, and it, it, I believe in it. I really do. I'm sure you guys do, too. It's it, but what, there was a thing. Weren't you guys doing something like an oof or something like that? Oof. Or, I remember at the parade that came up at the end, but I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know there was so much stuff going on. But, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I know a lot of people think, like, chemistry, I want good players, this and that. I, I, I agree you need good players to win. But you can't tell me all those, especially the analytics side of the game now, that you couldn't tell me those years that the Giants won it for three years every other year. They were the most analytical team. They just – seemed like they had the right type of players and good chemistry on the team and won. And that's what we did in 11. I mean, we had a good group of guys. We were a ways out of it in August. But we had good leaders on the team, and, and we had a good time, and we kept things loose. And next thing you know, we went on a run. And I just think you need good people along with good players that enjoy being around each other, showing up every day to, to 
kind of lay it on the line for each other, and that's what we did, and then it worked out. I had a, a couple things for you guys uh, here as we kind of wrap up. Uh, I have a couple more minutes. Hopefully you guys are good. But, we, I, I, again, I noticed some, some things you've, you've said on uh, Facebook, and it was, you're leading to it, is uh, the Dodgers are very analytical. Just give me your guys' thoughts on the, on the way baseball is headed. Uh, I'm a fan, but, man, I, I get a little – I don't like to think of myself as an old schooler. I like to think that I, I want to hear all the information – but boy, it just does seem like uh, scouting is being taken away, and we're losing minor league teams. That seems like a terrible idea. Just give me your thoughts as we head into twenty twenty. Um, and Gerald, I'll let you go first because I know you're opinionated on this, especially with the way the Dodgers continue to uh, seemingly, um, well, we'll say shit the bed there in the playoffs. <laughs> no, I just think I think sometimes teams forget who they are when they get to the playoffs. And and I know you know the Dodgers. It seems like they they'll get there with the best record in the in the in the game, and then all of a sudden they go away from what got them there. And it's that's so crazy. I mean, I, I, it's nuts. It makes yeah, no it's, sense. It's, go ahead. I'm pitching guys I, I'm, multiple oh. innings when they didn't do it all year. It's it's like starting a guy because there's like I've never seen a Milwaukee starting a, a lefty's on the mound and they start David Freeze and then all of a sudden they put a righty in. In the third inning, they pull David, like, just bring up David Freeze. They pull him out of the game. I'm just like, it's just getting so analytical and righty-lefty matchups. I'm like, you ain't done this all year. Plus, you have one of the best clutch hitters in the postseason, and you're taking him out in the second inning of a game. And I'm just looking at it, and you got, like, the closers throwing three or two, two and two-thirds. You ain't done it all year. It's just, you see them do it the most. It's like, they forget their identity. I mean, and for me, it's guys in the bullpen, those seven, eight, nine, even a six, seven, eight, your lefty specialist, they they get to a comfort zone where they know where they're going to pitch in a game. And then all of a sudden you get to the postseason and now you're asking your lefty to go an inning instead of getting just the lefty out. Now you're asking your seventh inning guy to go the seventh and the eighth because the, the night before you threw your closer multiple innings. It's just they get out of their comfort zone. And once you start doing that to guys that find routines that, that have pitched certain innings, all year long, and now you're asking them to get out of their comfort zone, that's where I think they get into trouble. And now you're asking them to do things where they're not comfortable, and it costs them. And then making all these moves early in games, like pulling out guys like Rich Hill in the fourth inning when he went through the in, the, uh, the lineup one time through because, this, oh, the second time through says he's going to get hit. Well, that's where as a manager you got to have feel. you got to see what he's doing. Is he making pitches or is he getting by? Is he getting, you know, is he is he having long innings and barely getting through? But you know, the games that I watch, he's cruising, and we're taking him out. They're taking him out of games, and now you got to go to your bullpen in the fifth and cover all these innings, not knowing you might go to extra innings. And the next night you play, it's just they do so many different things where it's just like God. I think it just costs them, and it's the last couple of years. I think it has. Benny, your take? Yep. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, there's stuff. Uh, I'm just going to echo a lot of things, you know, and stuff you hit on, you know, the routine, the feel, which I mean, stuff, stuff I think that drives the people who are over the edge with analytics that they can't quantify this stuff. So I don't know if they ignore it or downplay it or don't believe it matters. Um, but the feel side of it and getting a routine and having your mind right, which, which both those things, if you feel right, you're in your routine, you're in your comfort zone, your mind's right, you're going to play better. And, and to Gerald's point, when, when they get in the playoffs, it's like they, they do stuff that they haven't done all season. They've had all this success over a marathon. And then they, they just flip things and start doing things completely different. It, 
for me, it doesn't make sense. Now, when, when you dive into, it depends how deep you want to go into analytics. I, I think there's certain things that you can add into an equation that can help evaluate or, or value players. Um, but I'm, I'm of the, the, the mindset that it's used way too much and, and there's not enough feel, uh, which is such a, a, a big thing, but they can't quantify it. You know, and it, yeah, can, it goes to the chemistry side. You know, they can't quantify it. Well, being in a good routine, having a, a have standards in the clubhouse, uh, everyone having a, a leadership group or management that has feel, all this stuff they can't quantify, which is huge for a team or an organization to operate and be in a, put themselves in a position to, to have success on a consistent basis. When you overthink things, I think you just confuse everything. And it's, it, it's, it confuses me. That's for damn sure trying to watch yeah. that. I see nowadays, I see a lot of good managers. I mean, no, I'm going to say they're good managers, but I think they put so much into the analytics, they lose their feel of the game. You see, yep. I've I seen it this year with the Astros. I, I mean, if I'm going to get beat in a game, I want either to get beat with Zach Greinke, who's a Cy Young winner, or I'm bringing in Cole. Why am I bringing in the, the middle guy that got gave up the two-run homer to Howie? Nuts. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That's what I'm saying right there. It's like they say, oh, it's his third time through the lineup. Okay, so that's fine. Go make the move and bring in Cole then, right there. I'm not bringing in the. I don't, not not saying the kid it couldn't get it done. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything about bad about anybody. But right there for me, I'm going to get my best guy, and that's Cole in the bullpen. I'm not no worried question. About, you know, and then they bring in the other kid. Who was that kid? I don't even know. I forgot his name. Was it Cart? And I don't. But that's just I, my opinion. And that, and then they're like, well, and then I had a, a debate with somebody. He's like, well, you, I go, why do you even take out Grinky? He gave up a solo homer and a walk. He hit one hit. Yep. He wasn't, he wasn't laboring. He gave up one hit. That's where I think they get so involved in numbers. And don't get me wrong. I like some of it. I do. I agree with some of it. It, it, it helps you. It, if it's going to help me win, I'll use it. But I think seemingly they're using it to an extent where they're losing feel of the game for little situations. And it's costing them big wins. And I, I also think. On top of that, I think some people use it as a way to cover their ass. So in the post-game press conference, why'd you do this? Well, this is what the numbers tell us. Look, it's right here, right in front of us. You know, rather than going on, well, this is how I felt, and this, you know, where it's really on you, you can shift and say, look, this analytics told us this. This is the best move. These are, this was gave us the greatest chance, the best odds. Just cover your ass. Absolutely. And the other thing with the analytics, and this is going on a little tangent, you know, uh, Joe mentioned earlier about younger players. With uh, you know, the way he blocks now is is when you get into scouting or all these quote unquote showcases, which is a whole other phone call. Um, <laughs> I think you're getting young kids in these, whether it's launch angle, spin rate, this. So you're getting younger players so in tune with these analytics when they don't even have a foundation of of solid fundamentals. Like what Gerald said, you know, you teach blocking with twenties solid foundation of fundamentals and once you get to a level where you're really good and you can do whatever the hell you want like Daddy does have at it I think these are, a lot of these quote unquote gurus and instructors are diving at first in with these analytics with these kids when they don't even know how to play the damn game yet there's no yeah absolutely and it's crazy yeah they're in, they're in, implementing I did two years minor leagues in the, in the minors with the Tigers and they were one of the last teams to get it but now they want to start implementing with their rookie level players. I'm like, these kids ain't ready for all this information. No, like you just said, they they don't even have a foundation. They don't even know what type of hitter they are. And now you want them to hit balls in the air and this launch angle. They're, they're gonna, they're, you're just setting them up for failure for me. 
I mean, I think that's the thing when you establish yourself and you're at the higher levels, you've played in the minors for three or four years, you get yourself as a hitter, you have a foundation of who you are as a player. Now give me some of these numbers to where I could maybe advance myself to where if I'm that borderline player, maybe this stuff puts me over the top to be a, 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 an everyday big leaguer. But like to start a kid, a young Latin American kid at 18 years old and throw him all this information, I think it's just a little bit too much for him. I think you're going to ask, you're asking way too much for these kids because it's hard enough to go out there and grind 152 games in the minors. And now they're worried about launch angle and hitting the balls in the air and doing this and spin rate on their fat. These kids don't even know how to throw a bullpen, less throw how to throw a spin rate breaking ball or a fastball. No doubt. No so, doubt. I mean, I, I just think like sometimes they're pushing it now too much. Like I say, though, I do like some of the stuff. It helps, but I think we're getting lost in it too much, and I think it's hurting some of the teams. And now you hear about the Astros being a big team. Well, for me, the Astros have done a good job in player development and drafting. I don't care about the analytics. Bregman, uh, the shortstop. Uh, Correa, Springer. Bre- yeah, the Bregman, their shortstop, uh, center fielder. They're all good players, regardless of analytics or not. They they draft oh. them really well in the top yes. ten. These yeah. guys are studs. It has nothing to do with their analytics of what they're doing in the minor leagues. They signed Altuve. That's a huge sign in, in their Latin department. I don't care what anyone says. It has nothing to do with analytics because they develop these guys. These guys were top ten picks, and they hit on all of them, and they did a good job developing them. I, and they get all, all their analytic driven, this and that. No, then they be, then they got their core, and then they went and made some pieces. They went and got Verlander. They went and got Cole, and then that's what took them over the top, in my opinion. I just you, yeah. know, you hear like, oh, they've done it this way. They do the analytics. They're big in that. No, they hit home runs on five of their top ten picks, and they're all studs in the big leagues, and that's what it takes to win. They didn't miss on draft picks. Well, I'm glad I asked that question. I guess I I knew it would. I just, I just, got, I just watch a lot of it, and I and I love because I love the game. I still watch. I just, oh heck yeah! And it just bothers me to see this, and I'm just like, it takes away from their their, their player development because they're saying it's all analytics and they do this and that. No, they their scouting department did a good job in scouting and, and, and drafted these guys. These and kids players develop players. Yep. So yeah. along along those lines, I, I had a conversation. Uh, I think it was last year with somebody with an organization very, very into analytics and, and something Christian Yelich came up. They said, well, you know, obviously he changed his swing. If you look at his first couple of years, his power and his production versus the fourth or fifth year in the league, you know, he's doing something different analytically. So do you ever think it was something as simple as he learned his strengths and weaknesses even better, got better command of the strike zone, learned what pitches he can and can't drive, and just gotten better at pitch selection? Yep. He didn't alter and start lifting the ball he just got became better as a hitter and, and more in depth of what he can do and can't do with certain pitches. I, mean, I totally agree. It's it's nuts with some of these the analytic stuff, but yeah, good question, Brad. Thank you. I, yeah. I, <laughs> well, I, I seen a stat the other day came up uh, about Robinson Serinos. He was at the bottom level of the they call the AKA they call it the pitch framing stat, right? Oh man, he was on the bottom half of the league when he was at the Rangers, and then he signed. With the Astros, and he catches Verlander every start, the last 30 starts. And he's got studs on that rotation, and now he's one of the top in the league, which I've told people, yep. it has to do with who you're catching. No if doubt. you've got catch pitchers like that that pump the strike zone with strikes and have great stuff, you're going to be a better pitch framer. No question. When you're, you don't and see you're, and you're probably gonna, catchers in the top of pitch framing. No, no. I was saying, and, and you're probably going to call a little better game, and your catcher's ERA is probably going to be a little lower. 
<laughs> Absolutely, and I and I and I get it. There's something there. I do, but it does yeah. have to do with someone. Some of the, when you're catching uh, two times Cy Youngers MVPs, you're, it, it's going to help you out a little bit. No question. Well, I feel like I'm sitting on the bench with you guys. This is awesome. I, I really, <laughs> I know, and I, I this we love baseball, and you guys were in it, and so. I, that the, the one thing I, I wanted to, to bring up too the, the twenty seven teen Astros I remember I know Gary knows a friend of mine Max Linewand and he was always into analytics he was into it early on and he wanted to promote it on Fox and I said you know I still believe in the touch factor but he would he would talk about those Astros in twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen and how great they're going to be and then obviously the SI article comes out and yes they were led by Springer and Correa and uh, and Altuve. But if you look at that roster on that 2017 Astros World Championship team, it was, what, 10 free agents, seven guys from trades, and maybe six or seven developed guys. So it wasn't just, oh, my goodness, they just they gutted and built 25 guys. They made the right moves with Justin Verlander uh, in that year. And so that it always bugged me that it was like, oh, see what they did? They lost. They 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 drafted Appel, and he's not in the major leagues. They, they had other uh, first oh, number one overalls that have not done anything, and and yeah, they got very. I wouldn't say lucky. They drafted Correa. They drafted. Did McCullers do very much that season? Or was he hurt? That was his year. That I thought he was a big part of that. And yeah, he did. That's how, that's right. And Charlie Morton, you know, tra- right? and Charlie Morton came over. You know, it was yeah. trades and it was free agents and it was all that stuff. You can't just oh, we're gonna just gut and then draft. You have to do everything else too. And and like I said, I remember looking it up and thinking, oh, so, so only six of these guys were drafted by the Astros. Where you would believe if you read SI, you know, or watch whatever, oh, they built, you know, this is how they did. It. They built it. No, six guys made it onto that World Series roster. Now other guys may have helped them in 2017. Uh, oh, but they, yeah, you say yeah, they drafted really well. They had their they had their core that were ready to go. Now. So then you add your pieces. You go get JV. You go get some guys to help the pitching. But they also had prospects to get those guys. So they did a really good job in their in their in their uh, scouting department to draft the right players that players wanted. And when they were ready to win, they were able to go get those pieces to add on. Which I think you have to do. Let me wrap up with the Astros. Thank you guys for your time, as always. But um, the science the science dealing is uh, it was a big thing and. Still no punishment uh, out there. And my thought is, this is just my thought, of course. These are the opinions expressed by whatever. Um, A lot of teams are doing all kinds of different things for sign stealing. So Rob Manfred's going to have a real hard time punishing one team when maybe the Brewers are doing something with the lights in, in Miller Park. Or maybe, you know, the Sky Dome. There's people in the hotel flashing signs. I just think... That's a, it's a slippery slope for the commissioner when he knows that other teams are up to this. And if you punish the Astros, the Astros will say, uh, we're not the only ones doing this. Talk to another pitcher on another team. They can tell you about what the Brewers are doing, what the Cardinals are doing. Uh, I would just like to get your thoughts on what I just said and then just what the, – and the other thought I would have is you put iPads in the dugout. You've been told that you can put iPads in the dugout. You've, you've opened that can of worms. Uh, I'm not saying what the Astros are doing is right with a trash can and a guy, you know, sitting outside. Right. But right. you've sort of opened it up the technology thing when you throw iPads out onto the into the dugout. So 
thoughts on what the Astros are being accused of? And does, does it go on? And am I right that, to think that, you know, all these teams have some manipulation of sign stealing? And I'm not talking about being at second base and, and relaying signs or, or a pitcher on, in the dugout saying, you know, he's tipping his pitches. We can hit, hit this changeup because he opens his glove. I'm saying they're using the TV broadcast and a trash can to, to tell the players. What are your thoughts on what's happening here? I think it's bush league in my in my opinion. I think if you're going to steal them from me at second base, or you're going to do the, and you're going to, or you're going to get on the computer and do your work like we do as catchers for the call of the game, and you're going to narrow in on that pitcher and get him tipping, that's that's on him too. When you start using technology at uh, TV and iPads to get the signs from me and then relaying them from underneath the, I think it's bush league in my opinion. And I'm not, I'm not honestly, I'm not for it. I think. I think Raphael should set a statement with their punishment. I, I don't know when they vote for the MVP, but I hope to God they took that accusation because I thought Bregman had a really, really, really good year. And I honestly thought he was going to win it because Mike Trout missed so much time. And I, I don't know when they vote for that, but did, I don't I know that came out like three weeks before they announced the MVP. So do you think that had anything to do with him not winning it? I, I think they do that at the end of the year. They don't even let the playoffs – like cloud their thoughts of what happened, so I'm fairly yeah, certain. I didn't, know that. I didn't know when they voted for that. I could be wrong, though. I could be wrong, actually. But if I think they did it. and they took that in consideration, more power to some of the writers because I think honestly, if they were really inside, especially in the postseason, I mean that's that's a huge advantage. And, and honestly, if you go back and look at some of the take, they were swinging at some pitches like you're like, damn, <laughs> they knew some of that stuff was coming. Dude, I, I no, they were laying off some pitches and swinging at some like, damn, they're good. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Two old breaking balls for strikes from like and good ones. And don't get me wrong, what's name was probably tipping too, but you Darvish is a pretty good pitcher. And like they knew every pitch he had every time they faced him, right? Yep. Yep. So I don't know what was going on. And he's not he's no slouch, but they were two old sliders. You just don't see guys you know, drop that back leg and lift it out of here. All over. They knew yeah. some All of these over. were coming. Yeah, I, I'm with Gerald. That, that's on that side. It, it, it's Bush League, it's it's whatever you want. Adjective you want to throw onto it, and I hope, um, you know, if, if there is proof and evidence, I hope whoever is was involved gets absolutely crushed. You know, if it's front office people, whoever's relaying the signs, I don't know what you could do to players, uh, but but whoever is involved in relaying them, you know, sending whatever electronic message into they they should absolutely get hammered with punishment. So yeah. I, you steal the signs on the field, like Gerald said, you steal them from second base, so that's on me. If if I'm care that careless or whether they're that easy to pick up, then that's on me. But if, if you got someone in, with binoculars or a camera in center field and relaying something, that's that's absolutely brutal. So you guys, yeah, I, I just absolutely pound whoever whoever's involved in it if, if there's evidence. And the funny part about it too is to listen to the manager. I mean, don't get me wrong, AJ Hanson, great manager, but to say you didn't know something was going on when they're banking like that every pitch in the dugout. Come on, man. Come on. I mean, what are yeah. we dumb? Yeah, I mean, that, that, I could hear it from the stands. You're telling me you can't hear it, and you're standing there in the dugout, knowing what they're doing. I mean, that's just that's just not that's just a dumb it's comment. Just, it's, not believe, it's, it's not, it's not believable. It's yeah, not it is. Believable. I mean, you know something's going on when they're banging every time there's a pitch coming to the plate. Yeah. Something's going on. Well, I wish I could have found two opinionated guys to have on today's show, but uh, this is I gotta be. Honest. Yeah, no. Yeah. Is, I, I thought this would be good. So I and I think we won. Uh, good, good job, guys. G- Gerald, what are you up to these days? Tell uh, Cardinal fans or baseball fans, 
Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be want, wanting to know what you're up to. And then, Gary, as always, give us an update. When I was done, I ended up doing, going to help Team USA, and then I went two years in the minor league managing with the uh, Tigers, and I just didn't like the fit over there, so I, I stepped away, and then I helped uh, Team USA again. And this year I did the 18U national team over in uh, South Korea for the World Tournament. We took second. We got beaten a gold medal game by Chinese Taipei, but I'm just doing that, and then Today, I actually was at the Helping Hand doing a toy drive for the kids for the holidays. Nice. Awesome, man. So just kind of hanging out and just doing some base catching stuff on the side. I just like staying in the game. Benny, what yep. are you doing? Um, I know you I I know you're working with your kids as well as always, but any baseball-related activity for you along with your other yep. endeavors? I've been, been involved with the facility here just north of Chicago. Oh, give me a second. Sorry. Apparently my dog dog wanted to chime in. Um, yeah, I've been involved in facility just north of Chicago here uh, geez, since 2008 and then brought some other buddies in. I'm, I'm there on a part-time basis and then uh, been involved with medical device sales since I stopped playing, so 2010. And then uh, there's a few charities uh, I, I try to help out here and there and, and on the board of a couple of them, so... Uh, yeah, staying busy and chasing the kids around. Have a, a freshman at Missouri playing baseball. I got a junior in high school. Hopefully, he'll keep playing baseball. And then a freshman daughter. So they they keep me happy. Excellent stuff. A big thank you to Gerald Laird and Gary Bennett. Gary Bennett, one of our regulars here on the show. Huge fan of Gary. Gary is a good friend. And uh, Gerald Laird, who I have gotten to know better after his career. I appreciate him spending some time. Well, I like talking to him, uh, especially about the hop, the Game 6 hop, my favorite moment. Uh, there's so many great moments of Game 6. I, I will say that's probably number two, uh, right right after the home run and bef- right before the triple, Gary uh, Gerald Bar- Laird's uh, hop there after David Freeze's home run. So I appreciate those guys joining me. I hope you enjoyed listening. Just some housekeeping here. You can uh, keep an eye on what I'm trying to do next by following on heresthepitch.com, heres-the-pitch.com, heresthepitch.com. Add some dashes in that here's the pitch part, and I blog a little bit about what's going on here. Sometimes I might just have a weird thought and put it out there. You can also look at my YouTube channel. I put all the podcasts there. It's ST Weekly. ST Weekly, of course, means Sports Talk Weekly, which was my former cable access show back in the 90s, and I post fun stuff over there from the 90s, old interviews. Uh, I have Johnny Bench yelling at me. I have Harry Carey uh, comparing himself to Hootie and the Blowfish. It's all good fun at YouTube. Uh, the Facebook page is Here's the Pitch. So you can go to Facebook and look at Here's the Pitch with Brad. I have an Instagram, Here's the Pitch with Brad. So all kinds of fun social media if you're looking to see what uh, I'm trying to do in 2020. And always looking for sponsors. Yes, I've got that title sponsor, Masses Restaurant. I love them. They're the greatest. They're with me through and through. You go in there and say, hey, we go up to Winghaven and then look for Tony and say, hey, Tony, I want some T-Ravs and some chicken tendies. And uh, he will be happy to, to hear that you uh, were sent there by me. Your podcast friend, Brad Strobinger. Thank you. Hey, everybody. So that'll do it uh, for today's episode. Again, more stuff coming in 2020. I'm not sure uh, if we're going to do the roundtable thing, if I'm going to have some friends on and just BS about old Cardinal stuff. Um, that's what I'd like to do, and that's probably where we'll go with this most of the time. Kind of interviewed everyone I want to interview, but you never know. Maybe there's some other people out there. 
I'm rambling now, so cue up the Trip Daddy's music. Thank you for listening to Here's the Pitch with Brad, and I'll talk to you next time.